Hello, I'm Viv Groskop, stand-up comedian, journalist, massive fan of midi skirts and insane shoes, and this is We Are Women. We Are Women is brought to you by Mint Velvet. It's all about the experience of being a woman. The good bits, the less good bits and the downright bizarre bits. We pick a theme to explore for each show and this time it's caring. Caring for yourself, caring for others, caring too much. And coming up very shortly, we'll be hearing from the DJ Joe Wiley the phone went and all I could hear was this concert that was going on and it was Chris doing this concert and then he did literally stop the concert so I could just listen down the phone and they all sang happy birthday to me. From the psychologist Lucy Maddox. Trying to take the perspective of other people is really important and, and helps us to feel connected. And from the blogger and podcaster Emma Gannon. That's what makes me feel brave is when I don't select an outfit thinking what are other people going to enjoy me wearing. But as long-term listeners will know, I get very lonely in here all by myself. So this time I've invited a very special studio guest, Cariad Lloyd. Cariad is an actor, improviser, comedian and writer. You will have seen her many times on your television, from Peep Show to her very own The Cariad Show. You will have heard her many times on your radio as well, from The Now Show to The Cariad Radio Show. It's a bit of a theme developing here. And she also has her own incredible podcast, Griefcast which features comedians talking about death and manages to be both very moving and hilarious. Carrie Lloyd, welcome Hello. to We Are Women. Thanks for having me. I wooed like I was a ghost as well. Yeah, it was excellent Ooh. wooing. It was exciting. Now, we couldn't have anyone better for the theme of caring because your name sounds like oh, caring. Yeah, it does. It, is it darling in it's, Welsh? Well, is it's Welsh right? for love. I met a Welsh lady once and um, she said, oh, your name's Caliad, oh, lovely. And then an English guy next to us was like, oh, what does it mean? And I said, oh, it's Welsh for love. And she went, no, there's no word for it in English. And I was like, well, there is, but it means like most beloved, my heart, my darling. You say it to like, if you say to children, like Nostar Caliad means like night, night, my darlings. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. It's a bit intense, isn't well, it? Well, it is. If any parent could give... The yeah. most caring of names. <laughs> yeah. It is truly that. But then English people are always like, oh, that's lovely. But Welsh people, if you're a Welsh speaker, it's like me going, hi, Viv, my name's Sweetheart. And you'd be like, oh, I have to call her, <laughs> I have to call her Sweetheart. So for Welsh speakers, it's a bit difficult because they're like, oh, okay, Caliad. And that might be what they call their, like, you know, their partner or their girlfriend or husband like this. So then they have to refer to me as a very intimate name. <laughs> I love that. Now, I want to ask you about something weird to start off with. Go I've once it. read that at one point in your life, you genuinely believed that you were going out with David Bowie. There's some context. It wasn't like I woke up and was like, wow, I'm going out with David Bowie. I was doing a, a show, an improv show in Canada, and it's a 50-hour improv show. I didn't sleep for 50 I just improvised. And in the show, a guy called Bill Minsky, who's a brilliant improviser, was playing David Bowie, but the Labyrinth Years, and that's when my that's my gateway to David Bowie because I wasn't around for Ziggy. I met Jareth, the Goblin King. So I had a massive crush, and after I started playing his girlfriend in the show, so I was David Bowie's girlfriend in the show for about 40 hours with no sleep, and I wow. started to believe that he was David Bowie and I was going out with him. And in my head, I genuinely was like, he's married. This is really bad. She's, a, you know, a man is this beautiful woman and <laughs> oh, I'm going to be in hello. Like, and I'm going to, no, at the time I, I was 
you know, with someone, I was like, what am I going to tell my boyfriend? But I was like, he'll have to understand because it's David Bowie. So. Well, this is so interesting, though, because I think you would only get into that headspace if you were very caring as a performer. <laughs> and I think in improv, you have to care a lot, don't yes, you, about you do. how you're dealing with everything on stage, how you're looking after everyone else on stage and how the audience are responding. How have you dealt with being in that world and criticism from horrible comedy critics and all that sort of thing. How do you cope with sort of caring a lot because it's important for performance but also letting that all go? It's really hard. You have to care about it for it to be worth doing. That is an integral part of what makes you a good performer. And I I think it's difficult. I think just the more you do it, the more you realise some people will always hate it. I've had shows that have got like, you know, five stars across the board and everyone's saying it's brilliant and there's one review that's like, I didn't think it was all that. I thought it was fine. And you're like, <laughs> why did they? But everyone else is saying it's brilliant. Like, as a performer, you always zone in on the negative. And I think the more you do it, the more you can go, okay, the negative exists and that's okay. It's not necessarily the best show in the world. It's not necessarily the worst show I feel show like we world. should make a hypnotherapy podcast that says the negative exists. Yeah, the negative Let exists. Let it go. I the negative exists. I was raised Let in a go. really hippie family. So I'm raised in like the world of self-help majorly. So for me, I find I do find it easy to kind of go into this kind of real self-help talk. But wow. like not... So then I think what it enabled me to do, it enabled me to have conversations about communication and emotion and to understand emotion without being overwhelmed by it sometimes, without being like, oh, well, they, they hate me, therefore I shouldn't do this job. I mean, it took me a long time to get that. I also did a book called The Artist's Way, which I swear Julia by. Cameron. Oh, yeah. Changed, that changed my life because it made me realise you don't have to be good at something to do it. You just have to want to do it that's it and as soon as you accept it's not about value of like you know whatever a viewer says or an audience says it's only about you wanting to do it then it, then nothing then the criticism doesn't matter I mean you still care of you still care you still go I still get I got a tweet yesterday which was horrible and I was like oh, why why have they said that but I think you just get better going oh some people just uh I don't like it that's okay. Mm. Well, we've gone very deep I quite know, quickly, sorry. haven't we? It's nice, though. So I do think that as a woman, there's a taboo about not caring yes. as well. That's really interesting. So what we're going to do is I'm going to challenge you okay. to reveal something by the end of the podcast that you feel you should care about, but you really don't. Oh, okay. And I'll try and do the same thing. Okay. I'm trying to think of something now. I have an excellent story, actually, about caring too much. The producer of this podcast is called Kate, and Kate's mother told her recently that because she knows that Kate likes cheesecake so much, she feels really guilty whenever she eats cheesecake, and Kate isn't there to have some, which I think is a brilliant example of women caring too much. Yeah, that's adorable. Uh, If you have similar bananas stories to this, bananas or cheesecake stories, (laughs) please tweet at Mint Velvet or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page and share them there. We want to know what you care too much about. And whilst you're there, you can also contribute to our majestic pile of wise and inspiring advice for other women. Sharon came to the Facebook page recently to remind us how vital it is to always be financially independent. Oh, yeah. My mother-in-law said that to me. So she basic. was like, she said, always have enough that you could leave him. My mother-in-law. Oh, like, slightly worrying to hear from your mother-in-law. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Julia points out, some days you are the pigeon, some days the statue. That's 
nice. It is. I'm going to take that, Julia. Thank you. (laughs) And Louise says simply, I love this, you are enough. Oh, I recommend writing that on a post-it note and leaving it by the door. So then when you go out, the first last thing you see is you are enough. Hi, my name is Joe Elvin. I'm the editor-in-chief at Glamour magazine. The advice I would give to my younger self is chill the hell out um, and stop worrying about what you look like and just get on with it. Okay, my name's Bryony. I'm a lawyer. And the advice I would give is to be bold and ask questions. I'm Gemma Kearney. I'm a broadcaster, a big gob, and now an author... And if I could give some advice to my younger self to not continuously shave my bikini line. Like, shaving rash sucks and it doesn't ever really go, particularly if you're mixed race, like you scar really easily. Just like, just don't keep shaving it, girl. Give yourself a break. (laughs) Thank you, Joe, Bryony and Gemma. Our interview with Joe Wiley is coming up very shortly. But first, Emma Gannon. She's an award-winning blogger and writer whose work appears everywhere, from the pool to Tatler. She's author of the memoir Control Out Delete: How I Grew Up Online. She's also the host of the sensationally successful podcast, also called Control Out Delete, which features guests from Lena Dunham and Gillian Anderson to Zoella and my own personal hero, Seth Gozin. And, we- and Carrie Lloyd. Oh, and, and Carrie Ed Lloyd is also I featured. love Emma Gannon. It She's is an amazing, amazing She's podcast, brilliant, yeah. We spoke to Emma for My Life in Clothes, our feature which explores what our clothes reveal about our lives. When it comes to fashion, it's just something that has to make me feel confident. I do a lot of talks. I do a lot of things that are on stage. Um, I do a lot of things that are out of my comfort zone. So actually clothes play such a big role in that. And I got this shirt and I felt great in it. And it's kind of a gingham, very light pink shirt with ruffles that you can do up right to the top, which I really like. I like anything that buttons up right to the top. And I wore it to do a TEDx talk, which I was really nervous about. And I was like, well, I can't wear something that's pink and frilly for this talk where I'm trying to come across as really clever and I know my stuff. And I just had a word of myself and I was like, that's the thing that I'm trying to get across actually in a lot of my work is... You can be whatever you want to be. That's what makes me feel brave is when I don't select an outfit thinking what are other people going to enjoy me wearing. Does that make sense? You know, when you go to a job interview and you're like, I should wear a kind of grey blazer. It's like, no, wear something, wear wear whatever you want to wear. So um, for that talk in particular, I wanted to basically put to bed that stereotype of being a woman wearing pink on stage, being able to talk about things. Um, in an intellectual way. For my birthday this year, my boyfriend bought me like a Perspex glasses holder and I realised I had 18 pairs of glasses. It's not something that I've done on purpose. It's not something that I've gone, right, What? how am I going to be remembered? But that is part of my brand. Like crazy glasses have become something that I like. I wear a lot of yellow. I wear a lot of bold boots. Um, I wear really bright coats. And I think there is something to do with that. I remember this interview that I read where Chris O'Dowd said that at every acting audition, he would make up some crazy story about like a dog biting him or something because he wanted the casting directors to be like, who is that guy talking about the dog? And so I think to be remembered, you do have to have something a little bit different about you. And I would say my advice for anyone who's struggling with their style is I think the worst thing for me is to blend in. I think that's really boring. 
So this one is a Victoria Beckham top, which I was given to wear as kind of the hero piece of clothing for my Microsoft advert that I did in LA in May this year. And it was such an interesting experience because I had a stylist who was amazing. She was like, this was Susan Sarandon's and this was blah, blah, blah. And like she made like a massive mood board of what I like and my Instagram and my blog. And I just saw this rail of clothes and I loved every single piece of clothing. And it was one of those moments where I was like, I do have a style. Here's this amazing stylist pulling everything together and showing me who I was back at me. It was a really incredible experience. I got to keep the clothes afterwards, which was, I know I shouldn't be materialistic, but I was so happy I had to buy an extra suitcase, put all the clothes in. It's just so happy. So this is one of them. Um, and I love how bold it is. And I love how it's just so orange and a bit crazy. I used to hate my boobs. I used to just, I used to actually, for a year or so when I was younger, wear a bra that was like too small and try and push them in. I just hated having boobs. I thought, I don't know whether that was like a fashion thing at the time where it was really cool to not wear a bra. It was really cool to have small boobs. I think Kate Moss was wearing like sequin dresses with just like no boobs. And I just hated them. I always wanted to wear like button up shirts and just like not have the boobs there because you know when buttons kind of pull a little bit and you're like, oh, I just don't want that. And so I think I've learned to embrace them. I like them now. Um, at the end of the day, like, I've never been more confident in my body shape and I wouldn't change it. I just think you only have one body and you have to do lots of things with it and you have to get up every morning and walk somewhere or do something and I'm going to hopefully give birth one day from it. And I just think I don't really care. So I don't know. That's a, I think we're always evolving and learning to like ourselves a bit more. I do think caring too much is quite a feminine trait I just think we've always been conditioned to look after others before ourselves and I think it's like the whole gas mask thing of put your mask on before you help others it's like you're literally no use to anyone if you don't look after yourself so this is quite a new revelation for me but basically I had a bit of a wobble like last year and I was with a friend for dinner and she said that everything that I was saying about my life that I felt like not in control about was to do with boundaries. What she meant is I didn't have any boundary on my time or my energy. And so I've really got good at it. I'm so good now at prioritizing like, what am I doing because I'm doing it to be helpful and I'm being nice, but what is my job and what do I have to put first? And I think as long as you can learn to prioritize your time a bit better, I think you're kind of that results in caring for yourself. Wow, that was fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah, There's it was amazing. so much there. Yeah. What is a hero piece of clothing? We both felt quite old, didn't we? We both looked at each other like, I, I don't know. But there's so many interesting things there. I love what she was saying about not blending in. Do you think that's important? Yeah, I'm, it's difficult for me because when I was a teenager, I was a goth and I was like all about, you? yeah, I was all about not blending in. And then I, I got, just can't imagine you being a goth carrier. Everybody says that. I had like black hair down to my waist, black and red. And I had, yeah, blue or black lipstick, these massive boots from Camden. 
full, like the works, just, yeah, full, full goth. But I didn't listen to goth music because I wasn't proper goth. Like they didn't realise I was listening to Joni, Joni Mitchell. I was going to say, like a goth listening to the Carpenters. <laughs> oh, I literally was because I didn't like <laughs> the angry so music. I liked Joni Mitchell because it was more like sad. Um, so I was all about standing out. For me, I went the other way. I started wanting to blend in because it was tiring. It was tiring getting pointed at and shouted at and being expected to be a personality because of what you're wearing and I think I started to really enjoy just not blending in but just not needing the like to be like look at me and yeah just being like, well that's so interesting well your work is about look at me look yeah, at me yeah. and I wanted to talk a bit about comedy because I know at the beginning of each episode of Griefcast you say it's not that easy to talk about death but it does help if you've chosen a career designed to hide your true feelings about anything emotional yeah. <laughs> which is sort of what comedy is isn't it Do I, you... I think so yeah I think that I mean not to be someone pulled me up on that like loads of comedians talk about their emotions but they do but it's always very controlled and it's always with the eye to a laugh not the eye to oh this is actually how I felt about it for people who haven't had a chance to listen to it yeah what's the background to so, the podcast it's called Griefcast and and my dad died when I was 15, so I'm someone who's had death around me for a long time and I was always very happy to talk to people about death. So I became the go-to grief girl. So if somebody's parent died, they'd be like, you should ring Carrie out, her dad died, she like, knows what to say. So I would spend my time talking to lots of people and then I just thought, oh, maybe these conversations are interesting to other people. So I thought, I literally thought, well, if I do comedians, it, you know, hopefully we won't end up, hopefully I won't end up crying. So we just talk about it and then we just talk about the slightly the funny side of things that happen when someone dies. The weirdness of hospitals and hospices and how people react to you and and just what I found since doing it is that we all have the same experience. And that's incredible because you feel like, oh, I'm so alone, I'm so isolated, no one understands. But the more the grievers talk, we've been able to go, oh, oh, we all felt like this. Oh, OK, I'm not alone, that's nice. So it's about creating a community mm, I, w- I always think black humour is the thing that really helps you get through yes, grief definitely there was this, Jack Rook was telling this wonderful story that someone's dad had just died and the nurse was outside singing oh happy day <laughs> and they had to go outside and be like shut up he's just died and poor nurse obviously didn't know um, and my other favourite story is Adam Buxton when his dad was dying they had um you know, a, a palliative care nurse came over because he died at home and they were trying to lift his dad and he was like a big old man. It was hard and the dad was like that cry they get when it's they're very old and a lot of pain. And the nurse said to him, don't I know you? Haven't you been on telly? <laughs> as they were lifting his dad. And Adam was like, um, and of course as a performer you, you have that slightly awkward, oh, well, I don't want to brag, but um, yeah, I've done... <laughs> While you're lifting your dying father. I just thought that was... Yeah, stuff like that is very, is very amusing. There's a lot of fun to be had with death. Oh, but then we hilarious. also talk about the sad stuff as well. It's not, I'm not trying to like, because I know there's a lot of pain involved. But I think because there is, you accept immediately, it's painful, it's sad, it's awful, it's the worst thing. So if you can get five minutes of laughing, yeah. it does make it. Well, I don't think you should be made to feel either that you have to take grief really seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I have definitely not felt guilty about laughing for it because... It's hilarious. A lot of it is hilarious. The other story I was telling my dad once pretended he was dead before he was dead. We went to see him in the hospice. Yeah, talk about dark humour. Pretended to be dead. Oh my And then me and my mum came and we went, ah, got you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
Oh, There's wow. A, a psychologist would obviously have a feel. I was going to say, a day. therapist can really go to town on that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come back to you in a sec about this idea of mm. things you should care about, yes. but you actually don't. And you've sort of already answered it, like yeah. seriousness of grief is one potential answer. But first, let's hear from Joe Wiley. We are at a mint velvet photo shoot for the autumn winter range with the star model of that range, Joe Wiley, who I'm so excited to meet. We're in this beautiful house, which is like something out of Boogie Nights or something. And I think we might have squatters' rights at this place. Do I don't know about so? you. Should we, should, I'm do you fancy to living together? Oh, should we yeah. move in? Oh, yeah. Okay. I want to move into the marble bathroom. <laughs> okay, you have I'm the so marble bathroom. There are clothes everywhere and the shoes. You've got enormous feet, Joe, I have to say. There are shoes everywhere. <laughs> uh, let me introduce Joe, our guest uh, today. Joe is a DJ and television presenter. She presents the much loved Joe Wiley show on BBC Radio 2. She is also the glamorous, welly booted doyenne of BBC TV's Glastonbury coverage. She's had a long and illustrious career at Radio 1. She even presented Top of the Pops. Music is the passion which runs through her life. And I'm glad to say that preparing for this interview, I was delighted to find out that she may love music, but music loves her back. Uh, she'll tell me if this is all true, but I found out that Coldplay's Chris Martin once stopped a gig to sing happy birthday to her. Bono got down on his knees to say he adored her. Madonna spent an unscheduled three hours on her show. And the Gallagher brothers described her as both the hottest and the coolest woman they know. I don't believe the last statement. I've never read or heard that ever. <laughs> well, I can't imagine now. Noel or Liam ever saying that. <laughs> Which of those things means the most to you? Um... Um, is have, it true have, that Chris Martin sang Happy Birthday to you and is that a big deal? Um, no, that was true. That was very funny because I was at home. Thank God it was my birthday and I was having a party and thank God I answered the phone and it was um, a girl who worked with Coldplay and she just went, oh, quick, 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 um, you're going to get a phone call in a minute and you need to answer the phone, you need to answer it. It's going to be Chris, just just do that. I went, okay, fine. And, uh, and then sure enough, the phone went and all I could hear was this concert that was going on and it was Chris doing this concert and then he did literally stop the concert and get everybody to sing Happy Birthday so I could just listen down the phone and they all sang Happy Birthday to me. But what a sweet thing to do. <laughs> Crazy, insane, but lovely. I think he's got a bit of a crush on you. He's a very, very lovely person. Mm. Well, our theme for this podcast is caring. So being a friend ties in quite well to that. What do you really care about? I care about the rights of people with learning disabilities because my sister has uh, got learning disabilities. So I'm very passionate about that. I'm very passionate about carers. Yeah, um, my tell us a bit more about your sister. She's three years younger than me. She's got a, um, a genetic disorder. She's very loud. She's very volatile. She's got red hair and she's got the temper to go with it. So um, whatever Francis wants, you certainly know about. Um, she shouts a lot. And she's always been like that. She's always been a very, very strong character. Um, and so she lived at home with my parents up until three years ago, and now she lives independently. So they, they've had they've had quite a tough life because she's because she's been quite challenging. But they love her so much, and they do anything for her. And so I think that's where I've learned about caring. So I know how hard it is for people who are carers, and you know how they need all the help they can get. Mm, you're obviously very close to your family. How do you think the way you were brought up has influenced your own parenting? Um, 
Oh, I didn't. I actually, my mum's quite strict. I remember being smacked once for watching Star Trek, and I wouldn't get in the car when she had to go pick up my dad from work. So my mum, my mum's quite fierce, um, and I'm not. I'm a proper laid back kind of mother. My oldest daughter is always telling the rest of the kids off in the house, and always being strict about what they eat and what they wear. And it's a proper saffy kind of situation. I'm, yeah, I'm way too laid back. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, is it possible to care too much about your children? Um. I think sometimes people can fret a little bit too much about their children. And um, in fact, probably my husband would say that I care too much about the kids and I, I worry about them all the time, whether they're happy. I will always just be like, oh, no, no, well, maybe, maybe we should go swimming because Cass wants to go swimming. And everyone else is going, oh, God, we don't want to go swimming. And then I'll be really unsettled and fretful because I think that Cass isn't happy because we haven't gone swimming. So I do a lot of beating myself up, a lot of beating myself up. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people do. Do you worry about uh, what audiences think of you? Is that something you care about when you're I want people to like me. Yeah, of course. I don't want people to be um, thinking I'm an idiot. So, um... (laughs) Who (laughs) does? I don't think anyone would think you're an idiot. (laughs) Oh, no. Believe me, they really do. Um, So, no, I I just want them to to like what I'm saying and want them to like the music that I'm playing. So I I care to that extent, yeah. Do you think there's a tendency for women to care too much about what other people think sometimes? No, because all the men that I've worked with also care about what people think of them. Whether whether it's Chris from Coldplay, um, he cares passionately about the people's perception of him and that's why he's worked so hard to be as successful as he is now. Um, Steve Lamack, who I used to work with, really deeply cares about how his show is and um, I think men care just as much as women to be honest with you and how do you feel about things work-wise do you kind of pinch yourself now when you look at what you're doing and think I can't believe this is a job and I'm doing it I can't believe that I've been doing this for as long as I have been doing it and it wasn't absolutely an accident so yeah the, the fact that I've you know been going to Glastonbury for decades and decades and I'm still going back there it's a dream it really is I can't quite believe it yeah tell me a bit about Glastonbury tell me a moment that's going to make me feel really envious oh my favorite moment is when Beyonce was on stage and I've been doing some backstage stuff and John Grant was there who I really really love but I didn't know very well um who is John John Grant Grant, he's oh he's um a nice do I look really uncool now for having asked that no not really no he's he's a troubled um troubadour singer songwriter and he loves Beyonce and I hadn't realized and we, we were awkwardly talking and I said oh Beyonce's on stage now and he went hey let's go and see let's go and see Beyonce so we went out and we had to climb this massive scaffolding just to the side and we stood there with John Bishop as well and we watched Beyonce and it was just such a lovely lovely moment and then after that I had to go back and interview Beyonce so I had to clamber down the scaffolding in like a proper gown that I was wearing on Wellies and went and joined Lauren Laverne and we were waiting anxiously for Queen Bee and all of a sudden these people started turning up with massive lights like floodlights and we were going what what's going on and they said oh Beyonce's lighting and we said, no, no, we, we've got lighting, it's okay. And they went, no, she has her own lighting. So <laughs> Lauren and I looked absolutely amazing for that TV interview. We looked incredible because we had Beyonce's lighting. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, I do feel envious, but I don't know what I'm more envious of, your encounter with Beyonce or the lighting. Well, no, the lighting was the, the key thing. Jay-Z coming around to the house was quite good as well because this was for the live lounge when I used to do the live lounge at Radio 1. And it was one of my last shows that I ever did. So we wanted to go out and flourish and they managed to persuade Jay-Z to come out to this little tiny village where I lived and the sight of him sitting on a settee with my mum and my grandma eating strawberries is one that I will never ever forget he was so sweet that is extraordinary he just bothered to talk to my grandma you know He, he cared he was such a gentleman 
now. Wow. I just I really want Jay-Z to meet my grandma. I just would. Mm. Uh, thanks so much to Joe Wiley. I love the bit when Joe was talking about how it feels to be doing her job. Yeah. And yeah. how I mean she always wanted to do that. Is that how you feel about what you do as well? Um look, I mean I always wanted to be like a very serious actor. That was my I wanted to do like RSC. So for years I just thought comedy was a very silly it was silly. It was like not proper. Like like as if I was my own like parents in my head like comedy's not a proper job. Um but now I'm just I just can't believe it. Can't believe it. I honestly still feel incredibly grateful every time I do anything really even like a podcast like this I get to go and just chat with someone what because I was temping for so long oh they were really nice company guys but environmental structuring is not my that's not what I should be you can always return to it (laughs) you can always return to it now we're going to be joined uh by an old friend of the podcast in this section of the show where we ask for some expert insight. Clinical psychologist and writer Lucy Maddox, who joins us down the line. Hi, Lucy. Hi. So we've been talking um, with our guest here, Carrie Lloyd, about caring. In terms of caring for other people, do you think women are more naturally caring than men? I think this is a really interesting issue, actually, because I think... Often um, the narrative is that women are more caring than men. But I think when you look at the research, a lot of it's self-report data. And when we think about the way that girls and boys are brought up, I think some of that narrative comes from the fact that girls are encouraged to be more cooperative in their play and boys are encouraged to be more competitive often. And I think uh, it's a bit of a disservice to kind of use that blunt tool of gender to, to differentiate that's really interesting. I love the idea that women just self-report so that they're really caring. <laughs> One thing we, I think, are kind of agreed on with everything we've discussed so far, far is the idea that women probably care a bit too much about what other people think of them. Would you agree with that, Lucy? I mean, again, I think the research show, shows there's a little bit of a difference between men and women and that women are a bit more likely to experience social anxiety, so sort of worries about what other people think of them. Um But I think perhaps the way that men and women worry about what others think of them just might be expressed in different ways. I definitely think women talk about it more. Maybe we're just more honest about Mm. our insecurities. Or just have different coping strategies. You know, and again, I think some of that's to do with what we're encouraged to do when we're younger. You know, still girls are encouraged to talk a bit more than boys are about their feelings. And it leads to real problems for men as well, because... You know, young men in particular are a really vulnerable age group for depression and, and for um, suicide, often because they can't talk about how they're feeling. What do you think we can do to develop more empathy, not only for others, but also for ourselves? Oh, that's a great question. And there's lots of sort of techniques from some schools of meditation that, that encourage us to try and um, put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else. Um, I think that's a really hard thing to do, but um, that kind of practice about trying to take the perspective of other people is really important and and helps us to feel connected even in difficult situations where we might not agree with what somebody's saying or doing. Well there's a new concept in this whole area that people are calling self-care which has become quite a buzzword and I think this can maybe sound a bit precious sometimes um, especially to us Brits with our stiff upper lip Um, but how important do you think that concept is Lucy and how could we get more people both men and women to embrace it? I think it's massively important actually and, and shouldn't be underestimated. I suppose one of the things that's tricky is if you're in a really stressful situation that's that's stressful because of external factors so you know because you're boss is making your life miserable or because you're working in a really stressful area 
to then be told to look after yourself, that, it, that it's your responsibility, I think can jar a bit. So I think it's just a bit about getting that balance right between us looking after ourselves, but at the same time not taking away the responsibility that um, if we're in a stressful situation, perhaps it's something to do with the system that we're in as well. well I can definitely mm. relate to that comedy. Because <laughs> like, comedy and performing is such a stressful industry mm. to work in and then when people are like mm. oh you know you just need to relax you're like i can't like my job is <laughs> not like, to relax it's also someone telling you to relax is like the worst yeah. thing ever i think it just makes you tense it does me anyway <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us lucy come back soon <laughs> thanks nice to speak to you now it's time for us to reveal the thing we ought to care about but don't and i've realized there are mm. two things for me here yeah number one is i don't care if anyone knows that i dye my hair so i don't care if anyone knows that why would anyone care about that Do people care that wouldn't I even think, occur to me well because i have passed the 40 mark which oh, i don't think you i have not passed it yeah by a long way dye my hair a lot um i think once i turned 40 i began to feel as if i should be honest about going gray and that is yeah. it's a whole movement for women perhaps a little bit older than i am of being natural and yeah, being yeah. really proud about your gorgeous gray hair and there are some women who have the most extraordinary oh, gray beautiful. hair but i don't i have sort of brownish grayish brillo pad uh, yeah, yeah, I, I hope it will grow into some lustrous <laughs> ballet dancer kind of grey hair yeah like French some of the French chic I yeah like French women wear grey hair um, well. I really don't care about that and the other thing I feel like I should care about but don't is what other people think about my parenting oh that's interesting because yeah. I'm very new to the parenting club so I'm still quite I still get very hurt when people do that oh I think you're gonna that sort of, you know, oh, I don't think that was a good idea that you put her on the bed. Not like really, why are they criticising me? Yeah, I yeah, still find it hard. Yeah, you have a baby girl. Yeah, right? baby girl, eight months mm. old, nearly. But yeah, well, I, I have, my kids are six, ten and thirteen, so I've had yeah, a lot yeah, of way. practice. Yeah, of... I'm still a definitely, but yeah, the dyeing hair, I have to dye my hair quite, yeah, I go, I'm very grey. And if I wasn't an actor, I think I would be less bothered. But if you're having to conform as an actor to someone else's view of you, you have to be quite neutral. Um, I realise I don't care about swearing. I really don't give... I mean, I'm going to be polite now because I'm on someone's <laughs> program. They're just useful words. They convey a lot. Like, you wouldn't be like, oh, don't say table. Say this, you know, a level surface with four legs. You'd be like, oh, that's irritating. Table really gets across the message. And that's mm. how I feel about the F word. Well, as Kimmy Schmidt would say, you're fudging right, yeah, Carrie. Exactly. It's fudging right. Let's fudge this. Now, before we go, and speaking of being fudging right, we're going to talk about what everyone else is talking about right now, this being summer podcast, ice cream. Oh, I love so ice fudging cream. right. What is your favourite flavour of ice oh. cream, Carrie Lloyd? Okay, so I love ice cream, hardcore love ice cream, anything sweet. And I've literally just discovered green and blacks because for ages I doubted them. I thought, you do chocolate, you don't do ice cream. But green and black's chocolate, it's so cocoa-y. It's like, it's proper, like, it tastes of chocolate. It doesn't taste like synthetic. I, I've been living off that for about three weeks. And there's a place called um, Ruby Violet that does homemade, like, they churn it there in the shop. It's so good. I love ice cream. <laughs> I love ice cream too, actually. But I've it brings out the ponce in me. Oh. I love a blood orange sorbet. <laughs> So, Ru or a lavender ice cream. Ruby Violet, the other day, you'll love this. I had pink gooseberry with wholemeal meringue and apricot. 
That's just made up nonsense. It was so good. I wow. tried it because it made me laugh. I thought this is ridiculous, but it was incredible. We need to know more about people's ice cream, <laughs> ice cream flavors. Yeah, get some. More uh, please tweet us at Mint Velvet or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page with your ice cream memories and tips. Do subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts so that the next episode will arrive effortlessly into your ears. And please do rate us and review us and tell us what you think because we really do care. My thanks to our guests, Emma Gannon, Joe Wiley, Lucy Maddox and of course, Cariad Lloyd. You're welcome. We Are Women is a Whistledown production for Mint Velvet. The producer is Kate Taylor. I'm Viv Groskop. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Sorry, I got really excited about ice cream. I agree with you about green and blacks. I would have also had a prejudice against them. Well, I just thought, what do yeah. you know about ice cream? And then my mum bought some for a Sunday dinner and it was they do vanilla caramel crunch as well, which is really good.